Good evening, TDN listeners. Welcome to this week in interview. I am your host, Anthony Drago. It is Wednesday night. It is 8 p.m. on Eastern Standard Time in New York. It's 8 p.m. in Dominica. It's 8 p.m. in the Eastern Caribbean. And it, welcome to another installment of this week in interview. We have a very, very excited conversation coming up. Uh, tonight, uh, I get to interview one of the persons that I grew up really admiring, one of the radio personalities, um, somebody who I hope one day I can I can hold a candle to in terms of his prowess as uh, as a radio personality, none other than the great uh, Mr. Steinberg Henry. And anybody who listened to DBS radio in the 80s I remember that very distinctive voice. A very clear, very crisp. Um, the only, the only thing that matched the crispness of his voice was the clarity of his thought, and the insightfulness with which he, he, he commanded your attention when he was on your radio. Well, tonight I have the distinct honor to to have a conversation with Mr. Steinberg Henry. He is my guest tonight on this weekend interview, and I am, I am, I am absolutely delighted. I'm excited to to be able to share him with you, to share my conversation with him, with you on this week in interview. Before we get to to this our most auspicious guest, Mr. Steinberg Henry, of course, uh, those of you who those of you who know this week in interview and who know me know that I always I always start the show by putting in my my own personal plug from my passion. My passion, of course, is, is Caribbean unity. I always preach that the Caribbean should be one country, not just CARICOM, not just an experiment in trying to give everybody a same color passport, but actual one Caribbean nation, the United States of the Caribbean, or some kind of um, Caribbean Union, or whatever we want to call it. Um, we, the people of the Caribbean, live our lives uh, identifying the how, what we have in common. And so we would like our politicians, our leaders, to, to, to follow suit. So, so what am I saying? What I'm saying is that I, I like to start the show. Every week I like to start the show with the CARICOM anthem. That is my way of reminding us that we aspire to be one nation in the Caribbean. So let's listen to, to the wonderful Mikael Henderson as she sings the, the CARICOM anthem. And we'll be right back after this song to start our, our most um, exciting interview with Mr. Steinberg Henry. Stay tuned. From many distant lands Our forefathers came Some seeking adventure Some bound in chains Angel Hair Magazine, your magazine to learn all about natural hair care. Angel Hair Magazine helps you to look after your hair and your children's hair. Learn all about natural hairstyling, natural hair care, and look up our parenting tips articles. Everything you need in one magazine. Online, Angel Hair Magazine, www.angelhairmag.com. That's A-N-G-E-L-H-A-I-R-M-A-G. And don't forget to sign up for our contest and giveaways. That's right, every month 
you could win free hair products. We look after your heart as well as your hair. Learn to love your roots, curls, kinks, and waves at Angel Hair Magazine. That's www.angelhairmag.com. You know, there are many choices when it comes to domain registration, web hosting, and dedicated servers. But I have to tell you about Jocko Hosting. They're simply the best. With their 99.9% uptime guarantee, 24-7 sales and support teams, you'll never have to worry. Get in touch with them today. They offer plenty of other products and services like SSL certificates, managed WordPress, and more. Call or click today, 480-624-2500. Jocko.com. That's J-A-C-H-Q-O.com. Let me welcome you back after the break. You are listening to this week in interview on TDN Radio every Wednesday night. We have these interesting conversations, and, and I share them with you. I, I'm in a, in a fortunate position to, to have conversations with persons of interest. Really, really exciting conversations, and um, I, I, I really love to share those experiences with you, the audience. So as we, as, as we go through... Um, our lives, we come across persons of interest. We come across situations where we we find um, topics of interest. Well, well, tonight is no exception. Tonight we have a special guest. So let me say welcome to you. If it is your first time that you're listening to the show, we do this every Wednesday night. Welcome. Uh, I hope that after tonight's show, after you spend an hour or so with us, that you will become a, a regular, and you become a regular because you you like what we do on this week in interview. If you are a regular listener, I want to say welcome back, and we do not we do not take your time for granted. That's why we go out and we and we search for interesting persons to to bring on to have these conversations with you. Well. Tonight, um, my guest tonight is, as I told you before the break, is, is Mr. Steinberg Henry. Steinberg Henry is a radio personality, a, a, a superstar on the radio. We, we grew up in Dominica listening to Steinberg Henry and DBS Radio, and, and there's no mistaking the distinctiveness of his voice. And so tonight, I, I am very, very excited that he's agreed to, to come on uh, on the show. So, so what I'm going to do, uh, start the quick song, I'm going to raise um, Mr. Henry on the phone, and um, when we come back, we will, we will have him live. I'm hoping that we open the line in the second half of the show so that you can call in and you can join the conversation. So let's, let's, let's take a quick um, song and then I'll have Mr. Henry on the line as soon as we, we get back from it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, as I promised you, we, 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 we have Mr. Steinberg Henry joining us in, on the line. Uh, and, and I'm very excited if you hear the nervousness in my voice is because I grew up admiring this, this, this gentleman on the radio uh, and his professionalism, his his insightfulness, the clarity of his thought, the crispness of his voice, a uh, very, very distinctive voice. Uh, he He's not only a radio personality, but he, he has experience as a lecturer, as a sociologist, 
Uh, he wears many hats. Uh, tonight, he is on this week in interview as a writer. He, he has his latest book out called Caribbean Drift. Uh, Calypso Drift, I'm sorry. Calypso Drift. And, and just from the, you know, the, the imagination that must have gone into that title, Calypso Drift, it, it picked my curiosity. I'm sure it's going to pick your curiosity as to what exactly was the thinking behind the title of his book, Calypso Drift. So, so let, me not, let me not take any more of the time. Let, let's give a very warm TDN welcome to Mr. Steinberg Henry, radio personality extraordinaire. Let's give him a very, very warm welcome. Um, Steinberg, welcome to this weekend interview. We're so happy that you could join us. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to have the opportunity to speak with you so casually. Yes, and um, I will start telling the audiences that uh, you wear many hats and, and you've done many things, but tonight we, we, oh, the focus of our conversation is on, is, on your, is on your latest book. I wouldn't say latest work because I know you're a very prolific um, person, so I, I wouldn't take the risk and say it is your latest work, but your latest published oh, book, Calypso Drift. So, so let, let's jump into it. I, I, I want you to to walk us through the process, the you know the what what led you to the book, what was involved in writing the book, and, and why the name Calypso Drift. Actually, there is a, a woman who told me that she so liked the name Calypso Drift, Anthony, that she told me she was about to open a restaurant. And she wanted to name the restaurant Clips Adrift. So I had to immediately go downtown to see if I could get a patent. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. You have, to, you have to copyright and trademark the idea. <laughs> she was in London. And if she's in London, then that is a serious copyright environment implications. And Atlanta has quite a vibrant intellectual property, royalties, copyright, patent kind of tradition. So I thought it would be, oh, that would be great. Uh, Calypso Drift, she said she just loved the name she entered. Well, essentially, basically, as you said, yes, um, how did I come to it? Um, firstly, there are multiplicity of things. And I'm taking it for granted that we are just talking our way through through things tonight and I don't really like to edit my thoughts you know that kind well, certainly certainly <laughs> this weekend interview welcome welcome open open thinking we encourage we yes, encourage yes, open sharing yes certainly yeah. um, when I um, about 2003 between 2003 and 2005 I started to at the same time that I was writing my first American-produced book, As She Returns. Your earlier producer, Thompson Fontaine, called it a novel. I also started to write something that I call Cool Runnings. The name of Calypso Drift was Cool Runnings. Did <laughs> 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 you believe? Like, I just thought Cool Runnings would have been, you know, at the time. Mm-hmm. And then, um, then Calypso, it was my intention just to 
record clips who will and look at their lyrics and the extent to which they were reflecting the society from which they came. And so for me, it was like, how am I going to do this? I had the word Calypso, but I began to observe also that there were events unfolding in the New York environment where I was in 2003 up to 2005 that were of interest to development of Caribbean society. You said Caribbean drift initially. It was probably ironic. Eh? But it was that. How? And I started to observe, like, whilst I would be writing, I would be listening to my radio, favorite radio station, WBI, Anthony, which you said earlier happens to be one of the stations you listen to in New York. And I would hear things on it. So, even whilst I'm trying to record Calypso, there's always something that comes along to distract, or should I say, drift my attention. You see? And so, the idea of drifting on Calypso, I was recording a number of personal experiences because the subtitle to the book is Personal Traces and How Precision, Beautiful Precision in Songwriting, Archives Island History. So it's Calypso Drift. Personal Traces and How Beautiful Precision in songwriting, archives, island history. So the first section of the book is personal traces, which are basically my reflections on my own life on how I came to Calypso. Now, whilst I was a student at the University of Windsor, I did some graduate work looking at the evolution of song, Calypso, Cadence, and the extent to which it helped transform society because of its social commentary, its, its lyrical content, and the extent to which it contributed to the unfolding that was taking place in Dominica in the 1970s, and I guess it's something that's likely to arise. So that is one. Those are some of the parameters. But finally, too, I think there's a literary imperative where the drift is something that few people ask about, because most people ask about, talk about Calypso. But the drift is the under-subcultural subtext, the language beneath the language that you read. What is it saying? One friend told me that Calypso drift is rather nuanced. Mm-hmm. I told him, this is the drift. Another friend told me, I think the producer, the person in Sam George, Sam George told me, as I read the work, I find myself interrogated. I find myself telling myself things. Another sister told me, as I read Calypso Drift, I found myself remembering. And of course, my friend Anthony Drago told me <laughs> that as he read Clips Adrift, he was moved to many different areas, but always he came back to the point of reading. No, no, certainly, I, I and I identify with all of, with all of those, um, those 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 points that you just made. I I picked up the book, and what I find is 
um, the first part of it, which is personal traces, you call it personal traces because I guess you, you, you wrote it from your experiences. But uh, there are so many of those stories in that segment of the book that I can identify as my story. And, <laughs> and, and I, think, I think that is a, a quite an exquisite accomplishment when, as a writer, not only you can convey your message, you can communicate your message to your reader, but you can get your reader to place himself in that in that communication and identify himself within it. I think that is that is quite an accomplishment um, in that book. I, I found that the book was difficult to put down, and and it's quite a, a mastery um, work because it's not a small book; it's a big book. It's it's not it's not a simple book. It's it's it presents complex ideas, but you able you're able to do it in such a way that it's an easy read, it's an entertaining read, but it's also an inspiring read. So 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 I I am I am, I, I I congratulate you on on those because not not very often that that you can put that together and and. I see the connection with Calypso because, to me, a real, a well-written, well-delivered Calypso does all of those things, you know, <laughs> in, the, in the form of a song. If, if I may, when you start the book, you have some quotes, um, and there are lines of Calypsos. But the first one you have is from the Bible. You say, for I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and iniquity. That's <laughs> 6118. No. Now, immediately following that, you have Let Our Children Thrive As Children Should, where you, you quote Tasha P. In her song, Let the Children Be Children. The next one you have under that is Have No Respect for Corrupt Politicians. And that is Cleve Hurricane Jean-Jacques, when you say I owe, the, I owe it all to you. You still further, you quote um, the great hunter, Derek Hunter St. Rose, in Carib Bacchanal, he says, how many grains of rice is in a pond? This is so, <laughs> so Dominican, this is so Caribbean. And, yes. and then finally, the, the, the great king dies, seven-time reigning um, crown of, of, of Dominica. You, you have his quote that says, imagine me as a farmer in Dominica, in my Dominica, on my on own. On my own. Yes. And, and what I find is that you, this, this reflects our thought in Calypso that drifts through the entire garment of, of, of a Calypsonian. Um, of, of a Calypsonian. So, so a Calypsonian, you know, really taking life and, and, and bringing it into song. And, and, and I just thought, you know, I, I get the drift and I get, <laughs> and I get the Calypso, you know. And, and so this is what I get from um, Calypso Drift. Uh, let me let, let, let's let's jump into talking about you um, because you're the man behind the work. Uh, you you open the book very early in the book. You, you talk about your experiences. You talk about your experiences as you went to different um, institutions of learning in Barbados, in Jamaica, um, in Canada, and of course your your time. When you, when you worked in between those different um, periods, those things you had, those educational you know, institutions, I, w- I want you to spend a little time and, and, and de- describe, introduce Steinberg Henry to the audience as 
the man that you are now a product of all of this formal <laughs> education as well as all the life experiences and all, and all the interactions. If you can, if, if you can well, I gather that maybe towards the the end of this project, we might discover the advocate that I've become because of certain limitations. <laughs> but um, I think just before I respond to that part of me, I would like to acknowledge the exquisite work of Earl Etienne, Anthony. Right. Um, and just to say that you said the work is not small. It's about 418 pages and then an extra 15 pages of index, uh, which features the name of nearly every Calypsonian, and you can find the page on which he or she appears. But the book is 433 pages divided. It has 119 chapters, and it is divided into 14 segments. It is a treasure, and it's something to keep for a long time if you are Dominican. And in between the segments, the 14 segments, when I did them, I had the Waitikubuli trails in mind, because I always like the Waitikubuli trails. In fact, Anthony, somewhere along the way, you will come upon a chapter on the Waitikubuli trades, um, trails in its formative years with Bernard Wiltshire gathering a group of persons at Springfield Estate in Dominica to discuss possibilities of setting it up. So the 14 segments, uh, each marked by uh, an image that Earl Etienne, a sketch that Earl Etienne developed for me. It could be the sketch of a, a ballet dancer, a clipsonian with a microphone, a carnival queen, uh, 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 a quadrille or ballet band. A steel band. It was just great stuff, steel band. Mm -hmm. And he really, and you know what was beautiful? I called and I said, Earl, I want these segments to be marked by these images. Can you, he said, Stein, I can do these images, these sketches for you. I said, but Earl, you're going to have to give me about 20 images. and I cannot pay you. I, I, don't, I, I mean, well, how much do I have to pay you for each image? And he told me, Stein, all you have to see is that the image was prepared and developed by Earl Eichen. Wow. You, you only have to acknowledge that I did it. And of course, I do that in the acknowledgements. If you look on the back cover of the book, you will see sketches Earl Eichen if you look in the front. So, so I just wanted to make that clear because I think the collaboration um, is becoming a feature of our work and has to become a feature of our work in the Caribbean. As it looks to me, well, yes, I reference going to um, when I went to radio in 1977, three years later, in 1980, um, I went to um, the and College in Barbados, and as I said, certainly we were not studying theology, <laughs> because all those guys were along us dressed in their, in their habit and, you know, going to church every morning, it was, but we were students sponsored by the um, Caribbean Conference of Churches, the University of West Indies, Cavill Barbados, and um, we, we, we gathered at the college to do a six-month 
program in in um, mass communication. I mentioned this because it was basically my first approach or opening to um, formal university education. Of course, I had gathered my philosophy at my father's feet before. I only had to formalize it in many ways. And I make reference to that because, Anthony, I thought it was important because it was formative and it was critical. I met a gentleman called Dr. Neville Duncan who said that the then USSR was a powerful <laughs> country with a great natural resource. And none of us had anticipated that within the next nine or so years, ten years, the Soviet Union would break up into Russia and all of the other states. A very interesting set of work. So I had been involved in that work with a group of geniuses. I mentioned their names. They went, and I like mentioning names because it helps people to feel like they are represented in a phenomenon that is unfolding. So I thought those things important. And then, of course, as I said, I went to the University of West Indies, Mona, Jamaica, and I guess after that, a lot of things happened. That was 83, 84, you know, and you know the whole story that, 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 that this entails and how it is recorded and, you know, those kind of things. But certainly, those are important moments. Steinberg Henry, um, born at Portsmouth, Zikak. My father was a village historian, anthropologist. My mother was an accountant. I grew up in that situation. And, um, you know, grammar school and all the works. And, and so, simple people, we were not rich, but we always had quite a bit to eat. You know, most people in America, we were not rich, but we always had food, Anthony. Definitely, okay. because, because we produced most of our food. <laughs> Those kind of things. And then the, the way the neighbors lived, we had a certain good my practice, eh? A helper hand. If my aunt dealt with cattle and my uncle dealt with ground provisions and my other uncle dealt with fish, well, everybody shared, you know, and we dealt with something else. We all shared with each other. You had this, you gave this to me. So we were very much, but we were always reading. Growing up with my father, it was a case of reading. That's where I learned philosophy. That's where I read all of my works. That's where I became articulate. That's where I began to realize that um, it was not about me. Um, you know, I did not. My father used to tell me, man, you know, he was an anthropologist, so he spoke about man, you know. <laughs> he used to say, man is a social being. And later as I grew up, I began to understand why man is a social being. You know, we have language and we have memory. And um, I would imagine if we were not social, we would probably not be speaking and we would not have language to speak. And definitely our, our, our interactions and our, our relationships define who we are. More than yes. yes, those things. I remember when I came from the University of the West Indies in 1984, 85, my aunt, I went to see my granddad and she asked me, how was it at the University of the West Indies? I said, excellent. And of course, observe, I mentioned a lot of the professors I met there, um, Anthony, you know, Dr. Agri Brown, Wendy Bowen, and all those guys who taught me various things. And, and I learned quite a bit. And when I met my aunt, she told me, how was it? I said, it was great. She said, did you make a lot of friends? And that question was very powerful. It's one thing to have matured intellectually. It's another thing to have been friendly, you know. And to make friends. Now, and to make friends. Now, I want to segue from that a little bit because um, at, the, at the top of the program, every Wednesday night, I always preach my Caribbean unity sermon. 
And I always play <laughs> my gospel songs. You can recommend them by Michael Anderson. And I'm reading your book, and I'm struck by your mention of all these relationships, of all these um, communication people, persons who were influential. Some of the names I, I recognize as, as regional people. And, and I wonder how, how is it that we as a Caribbean people can form so many relationships across the islands and yet our cooperation and, and moving the region towards unity has been so elusive. What are your thoughts on that? I guess it may be like people who come from a variety of cultures and they gather for a, a, a week's workshop and when they get there, we make friends over the seven days and we exchange business cards and e-addresses and, and text addresses and all of the accoutrements of the social media we exchange. And then we make all these great plans with bright eyes and, you know, unexplained emotions. And we leave. And when we leave, we go our separate ways and all the plans and promises we made to communicate and to keep in touch... All these things fade as we get, as we become engrossed in our own specificity. Yeah, but let me push back a little bit, because we're not talking about regular people. We're talking about people who specialized and who seem to excel at communication. Uh, so, so, so why, is, you know, why if, if that group could not have kept in touch and needed something together? That's okay. it, it's an important question. I believe, too. The, the trained Caribbean media practitioner was a rarity, yeah? and that may tell you a lot about my future existence and experiences in Dominica post-1992. Um, um, it's a rarity. Uh, when we left those institutions in 1980, 83, 84, because I was at the University of West Indies in 83, and I went back again in 83 on to 84, 85. And when we were being trained in those times at the Institute of Media and Research, Media and Communications, it was once mass communication, it was a rare thing. Um, people had skills. Just go back to the 1970s, people who were in media before, they were naturals. Um, they got a few weeks at the BBC. They got a few weeks in probably the United States of America. I think of the people that I worked with, like Dennis Joseph might have had a, a stint in London. Shemaine Green had a stint in London. Alvin might have had a stint in the United States. Different people had different short periods of time in those early days. But it was rare to have people trained in media. And when they returned, they were usually seen as threats. Is that beginning to make sense to you? It's beginning to make sense because I, 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 I lose that. For I example, that well. Grenada had, there was Philbert, Vivian Philbert, who was with us of the Cottington College. He went back to Grenada, and I heard he would go on to the Soviet Union to do a PhD in those days. Understand context now, Grenada was very much involved within the Soviet Union. There was a gentleman called George Worm. I mean, even as we speak, maybe George Worm is still having difficulty with the Grenada government because he was always writing some very controversial stories. 
So, in a sense, I still do not have an answer to your question as to why people did not stay together. I imagine you're trying to say that we should have built a consortium. Later on, by 1987-88, we would have the presence of a gentleman known as Ricky Singh who was then the president of the Caribbean Media Workers Association, CAMWORK. And he tried to bring Caribbean media practitioners together, particularly when the Caribbean community was beginning to talk about the single economic space. Right. And when we were beginning to talk about the movement, I mean, before... Caribbean media people began to, before we began to talk about a single economic space in any formal way, Caribbean media practitioners were already beginning to meet to discuss the matter because Ricky Singh had had a wind of it that it was a phenomenon that was going to emerge. And he wanted media people to be able to share their skills across the region even eight years after or even four years after we had been at the Institute of Mass Communication. So it was an emerging phenomenon for media people. But I will tell you something that happened. I think in the 1980s, there was an abundance of right-wing governments in the Caribbean. Think about it in this way. You had Edward Siag in Jamaica, James Mitchell in St. Vincent. You had... Um, Eugenia Charles in Dominica, you had the birds in Antigua, you had Brian Mulroney in Canada, Margaret Thatcher was emerging, Ronald Reagan. It was not the radical embodiment that we had coming out of the 70s. It was not very easy to begin to practice that in the 1980s environment where suddenly we were exposed to everything that was a free market. Some people didn't know what to do. There was significant shift. Everything was becoming new. I'm not making an excuse. Mm -hmm. I think it would have been ideal if we had established collaborations, and I think we did. And I think we met to begin to deal with the tide of new change that was taking place across the Caribbean. But we were a bit ahead. We had formulated Caribbean Media Workers Associations. Each country had had its own outfit. And under the single umbrella of CAMWORK, we had begun to do something. But in terms of this actual business of media people becoming the estate that it is supposed to be to begin to, to lay out some really formidable approaches. Oh boy, we were faced with a, 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 a free market environment, a, a, a sort of open system <laughs> that, that, made, uh, that made it challenging. And also, that, that made it challenging, yeah. Also, I think maybe it's also because the, the biggest outlets by far for a media person in the Caribbean was on was controlled by government. Certainly, at that time, we we had few private media houses at the time, yeah, and, and, and so basically, I, national broadcasters were the key thing. Yeah, and if you if you if you wanted to get your message out, um, you and that's totally not totally wrong, but but your your audience would have been limited if you if you were not on the national national station, and that brings me to a, a part in your book. Where when you return from um, when you return from Jamaica in 1984, 
you said that um, Prime Minister Eugenia Charles uh, asked you to be her, her press secretary. And with the encouragement of your father, you accepted the position. And in that position as, as the Prime Minister's press secretary, um, you, you were witness to the, to the visit of Queen Elizabeth II to Dominica in 1985. And and so I want to give I want to give the readers, like the listeners, a little a little gist of the of the type of writing that that's that's in this book. Um, when when you spoke about being a guest on the ship on on, on the Queen's um, ship, yeah. uh, you you say that um, well, there's there's something that grabbed me where you spoke about. It was a, it, it was amazing to see the, the aristocrats of Dominica <laughs> bowing before the queen and kissing her ring, <laughs> and, and, and 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 I mean up till that time you, you were suggesting that they they, they look down at down at through their noses or over their noses at at the general population, and there were these very same people genuflecting. Before, before Queen Elizabeth, as though, um, as though she were God, genuflecting and, and, and kissing the ring, and even at that time, you 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 saw the irony of it. Also, you get the detail of um, there's supposed to be a ceremony at Lyle River Hotel, and somebody fussing about is the bathroom in a condition where. If the if if her highness the queen needed to use the bathroom, um, was it gold? Well, you didn't say gold plated, but was it in a condition that 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 we wouldn't demean her to ask her to use a toilet, you know, at, at one of the hotels in Dominica? All all of this stuff where where we elevate people to the level of gods, um, and 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 then if we take it over to to when you were on the boat, I want to read a little yeah, bit um, wh- where you were on the boat, and you said, "In the midst of the excitement on deck, a gentleman came to my wife and me and informed me that Her Majesty would like to meet me to thank Government Information Services for receiving the British media." I received my wife's permission to leave and went downstairs to the lower deck with the gentleman. This was not the ship I was accustomed to, that I was sure of. This barely rocks. It, it is palatial in feel and aroma. Its walls are covered in paintings. Its carpets are of the richest variety of Persia. I had to wait a while before my name was announced. It's all a work of art and presentation of shelves, a dark background, side flag, soft light in the foreground overhead, adding gentleness to royalty's face, a small stage slightly lifted, upright bodies of the 59-year-old queen and her duke husband as one approached them. Those carpets of blue fur had to be walked on carefully, a smooth soul could sleep. Elizabeth looked sensually pale herself as she handed me the typical husband-wife framed photograph and golden cufflinks. Her husband standing next to her was aloof, 
seemingly enlightened by the native royalty meat. He must have kept a spa on board or exposed his body on deck more often than Elizabeth's. He was browner than her, as if wearing a tan. She stretched a hidden hand and palm in a white glove, the sequins of her baby blue well-fitted dress sparkling. She had quite a bit of hips descending sharply from her waist and very little fat at, her, at the stomach. She must have been quite charming in her early youth, bearing still as she did then traces of dashing beauty and benefits of richness. And immediately you, you switched now and you said, My father, a Zion king, a student of radical French philosophy, wanted each detail, every detail of our conversation. <laughs> <laughs> the morning is fair to me now, and it's sunlight streaks for coconut trees, banana leaves, and bunches of green hanging from their stalk with readiness and weight. See and know him now in the light of royalty, tall, slender figure, cutlass carried lightly in hand, hair never combed and kept short. We were going to pick coconuts, what we call jelly in Dominica. And I wanted to give you a reader. I read that section because of the what I explained to readers before is, is the clarity of the writing. I mean, you you took us on board the royal ship with you, and and we felt like we shook Queen Elizabeth's hand with you, and 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 the, in the interesting um, perspective, and then and then you took us to to the hills of Dominica with your dad to pick coconuts. Um, I I just I, I wanted to read that part because it it comes back to some of the things that we that we were discussing before, um, where. Uh, your, your book doesn't just talk about Calypso, but it, it captures life in the Caribbean and all the different influences. And of course, you cannot talk about life in the Caribbean without talking about colonialism. Yeah. You know. So, so what I want you to do now is to, you know, is, is to talk about that. I, I, you know, you're a sociologist as well. So, so let's bring this into context where, even though all the islands of the Caribbean, pretty much all of them. Okay, the exception of Montserrat and Anguilla and some of the British Virgin Islands are independent. But yet we still seem to be unable to shake the very strong influence of, of colonialism that we need to, to, to carry ourselves forward. Certainly a very interesting juxtaposition to move from royalty on the deck of a ship to coconut picking and um, it's interesting that the meat of the coconut was white (laughs) (laughs) white meat you know but um, I think I've always believed eh, simple that we did better or we would do better as a people with a, a single cultural zone rather than a single economic zone I always felt that there was something that we shared better. We shared, Amy Cesar captured it in his very early work, it will be in Italy to the Mindsive Land, you know. We, we, you know, all of the poets and thinkers and writers, they speak about our common, there's something about us. Um, just look at our musicians. They know each other so well. I mean, 
all of the festivals are blossoming in the Caribbean, we seem to have a single cultural identity. We seem to have something, not by our governments, but our musicians, our sports people, are able to meet and and give us a common unity, a, a space in which we can enjoy each other something. At the same time, there's a revenue stream, there's economy in it, it has a particular, it has a legality about it. You know, I just wonder why, in a sense, Jamaica, with its reggae, Dominica with Skadas, its, its Buyo and other influences and its traces of Calypso and its Zouk and its Wazouk and, its, uh, and, and Trinidad with its elements and Guyana with its Chutney uh, and all those things. Why aren't these... And why we think also we have a common experience as a people coming through a particular historical experience where in the 21st century we should be advancing a philosophy of liberation, which is a cultural phenomenon that we need to express. So somehow I am a little concerned about the fact that our zones are, are mainly economic, and it's very much that we're talking about, single trading space, and certainly that must happen. We've been bartering and kudmering and exchanging and setting up rules for exchange long. Our hucksters have done it long, if you think of Dominica going north and south. So... I am a bit concerned about that economic space, which itself is not, it's not, it's not hemmed in it. It is an open space where anyone can influence from the World Bank to the IMF to the United States Agency, the International Bank for Reconstruction, the Organization for Economic Cooperation, or World Trade Organization. It's a whole set of things. So it's not... But our cultural space is an integrity space. It's a dignified space. It's a space that we own. Yes, it can be affected. But because we have built into ourselves a certain sense of who we are and belonging from that kind of root, I always believe that if we had, if we took the time to share our cultures more effectively, to share our, our Western history, it has shown us how we could be. Although these days it's not doing much. But it gave us a, a sense of some other things we could be. So yes, but I still I still believe there is some kind of there's some kind of potential in the Caribbean space, although I think right now we are <laughs> we are entering a very difficult um period in world development because the things that we need we do not own them. Well those are some of the things that I'm concerned about. No, no, certainly going forward the Caribbean has challenges, but, yes, but but my opinion is that those challenges are all the more difficult because we insist on facing them as individual small countries, as yeah, opposed yeah. to one large um, economic cultural zone, one yeah, large yeah. political one large political zone. And there was a time when we used to, even if we were separate countries, our politicians used to band as one. And therefore, you could negotiate with something, with some leverage at the United Nations. But yeah. that that has dismantled a little bit because, you know, there, some people are, are, are right and some people are left and some people are right. For instance, something like our Creoles. Mm -hmm. um, for instance, all, it is important that sometimes we we understand that those definitions have already been established through study 
The Department of Sociolinguistics at the University of West Indies, Jamaica, has done a lot of work. There's a Caribbean dictionary. Europe meets Africa in Brazil, in Sao Paulo. Europe, Portugal meets Africa. In Puerto Rico, Africa meets Europe and native. In Dominica, it's French and Africa. In Barbados, it's English and Africa. In Jamaica, it's English. These are all Creoles. There is something about our common linguistic experience. I've always said that in the English Creole, we say, Menagode. Observe, we say, me. Mm-hmm. In Creole, we say, Mwe, Paka, Ali. Right. It's the same me. It's just that one is in French and one is in English. Moi, me. We have something, and there are some people who think that language determines reality. They used to call that in linguistics, intercultural communication studies, they call that the Wolf Sapper hypothesis. And scholars go at length to try to demonstrate to what extent does your language determine your reality. I heard one case where I remember one guy told me in fact that people are now walking like Calypso. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, 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 but but we we'll, we we'll laugh at that. But but you know, the the Caribbean bears the truth of that because because one of the things that. That is front and center in the Caribbean. We've allowed the rest of the world to define us as a place where people go to fet and relax. And therefore, we approach a lot of our problems in the Caribbean too relaxed and too much from a party point of view. And, and so there's a lot to, you know, I mean, you might say that in jazz, but, but definitely <laughs> the evidence seems to get out. I developed an interest in following the lyrics that Caribbean songs contain um, from Jamaica's abundant, <laughs> you know, plethora, its abundance of, of reggae lyrics. Then Jimmy Cliff says, I am the older getting younger. I mean, you could drop that in a gerontology class, a class on aging and geriatrics, and you have a discourse. Right. I've always been amazed by the, the depth of, of you know, when you think of the mighty sparrow, you know, when you hear him sing, you know, London Bridge, or you hear him sing Manuel Survive, or you go back to some of his more humorous, sophisticated, you know, early historical records, Jean and Dinah prostitution. And, you know, I, I'm, um, I, that always exile one, no provide for a year. Bells come go, pack you on the more and Sorti hard of quick chubby and the midnight groovers. More love you know, all I'm not here, Africa, more than look at us there. You had so many, um, you know, all the Haitian compo bands and what they produced, and those from Guadalupe, Martinique, and those from the Seychelles, and those from the Indian Ocean. There was always a message that constituted our performative expressions. We were never, baby, let me do it, let me do it one time, come on. We did that, you know, but that was not our dominancy. And that is one of the distinctive features of Caribbean music. The melody, jazz, rhythm and blues, soul, funk, mazook, begin, calypso. I don't sleep so. Booyah! 
You could dance on poor Coco. It is a classic Kadasit. You could dance on it and still get a message. And I think this is one unlike what UNESCO thought in 1983 was the general um, erotic nature of American music. It was always love and baby, let me hold you. I want to kiss you. I want to rub you all over and sexual healing and so on and so forth. You know, th those are some of the distinguishing because we came out of an experience that required us to sent messages, you know, not only swing loads with chariot when we were supposed to have gathered on a southern plantation outside Piedmont in, in Georgia, but we, we did a set of things with our song, our shate mass, la puerta paniglo, la puerta paniglo. We could also jam and have a good time and dance and get a sweat, but still get the message across to the parliamentary representative. And, so and, that is what, and, yes. that, and that is what that is what the essence of Calypso is: is to take the stuff that's needling you and, and 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 stabbing you, put it in a form where it doesn't stress you to death, but at least you're letting everybody know that hey, I'm having a good time now, but I still have my eyes on you to fix. <laughs> you know, you know it, it is important because, and here is another factor which I think I heard emerging in your question about the Caribbean that I think is a bit. The Caribbean has produced some outstanding people, scholars of all stripes. The other day I was looking at Hilary Betters on reparation addressing the government of St. Vincent. I think I was re re looking back at Rex Nettleford's Caribbean cultural identity formation of the University of the West Indies, a whole set of other things. I think of all of all writers from Naipaul to Walcott to Brathwaite to Hearn to, to Lovelace, you just name the metal hoser. I think of the vast quantity of history. I mean, all of us went to high school and we did making of the West Indies by Oji and Gordon. <laughs> but you know, there are, I mean, the tremendous scholarship. Uh, when I did an unassuming love, I actually went to the University of Miami. Department of Caribbean Studies to draw on a Caribbean journal called Anthurium, where there were some fascinating discussions taking place on subjects as 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 wild as the archaeology of black memory. So Caribbean is a rich place. Now go back a bit. These were people who emerged from people out of plantation society, people in a field where the body was once an enslaved object subject. We come into the 21st century Anthony Drago and we do not have a discourse on liberation. <laughs> and, um, and and listeners, let me just let me let me just tell listeners that uh, of course you're listening to this week in interview we, our guest tonight is Mr. Steinberg Henry. We're discussing his book, Caribbean Drift. Calypso. Calypso Drift. I'm sorry, I keep saying Caribbean Drift. Calypso, Calypso Drift. And, and you get a gist of the conversation that takes place in the book, uh, <laughs> in, in the first part of the book. Uh, we, we, he, Steinberg is able to capture 
all the facets of of the Caribbean life, all our collective experiences. He's able to 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 chronicle and document as best as anyone can do it the different stages and the different eras, and to look at it almost from from a from a bird's eye perspective and, and bring it to our attention. You know, for example, what he says tonight. Or uh, 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 the language of our people defines who they are, and and when he brings it all around you, we all can do the correlation. We can see the type of life we had in the Caribbean in the seventies and the eighties, when a lot of our songs were were progressive songs and and songs of positivity and songs reminding people that we know you oppressed us and 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 but we're moving on, we're taking care of ourselves. To where it turned to a more erotic theme, and and therefore we can see the turn in 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 the type of life that we have in the different islands in the Caribbean, and that is what that book Calypso Drift is. It and it is well written. It it's it's you 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 almost cannot put it down, um, and and so I I hope you know as, as that that. To, of course, we're going to have further discussions on the book, but I encourage you to go onto Amazon and buy the book. If you have, if all of us have tablets. We have iPhones. We have uh, we have um, Samsung phones. We have all types of phones. Go onto Amazon, buy the book. You can download the electronic version, but you can also buy the hard copy because it, it does enough America call it a coffee tabletop book, a book that you want to put on your center table so when your guests come, they can pick it up. It's a, it's a great conversation I'll tell you a joke. I'll tell you a joke. I had cases of two people who tell me, one guy told me his girlfriend from Haiti came to his house, started to read the book and stole it. Yes, it's, it's a book that... Uh, and another person to told me, this lady from Jamaica came and she saw the book and she started to read sections of it and she took the book. And... um. You know, it it is the the, the e copy which can be downloaded on all of the existing, you know, apparatus from tablets to Mm -hmm. the readers. Mm -hmm. It sells for just under seven dollars. The the um the the soft cover is just about twenty four twenty three ninety nine, which is just about twenty four dollars. And the hard cover of this book is such a fascinating piece of work. I mean, just to feel the hard cover of that and to know the cover is hard, and if you care that that can last you for a while, and your children can grow up and ask you, um, Daddy, who was Tumba? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you say, Well, oh, let's go and see where Tumba was. Oh, yeah, Tumba. Daddy, who was Andrew? Oh, Mommy, who was Andrew? Well, Andrew was a guy who was to do organic agriculture. He received an award from the FAO in 1982, the Food and Agriculture Organization. In Rome, based food and... Gave a Dominican a silver medal for exceptional work globally, internationally, for his work in organic agriculture. Since 1982, that is, if my math, that is 33 years ago. And we are now talking about <laughs> the chemicalization of our agriculture. You see, so, in a sense, have we learned, Anthony? And I'm not being cynical. I'm just, it's just that we had lessons. There were things, there were directions that we were pointed, but we probably didn't always take. I think when it happens in my personal life, there were lots of things before me that I didn't follow. So I probably guess even nation states make mistakes. But, but you know, the question is, have we unlearned? 
you know. And, serious, <laughs> no, I'm serious. And, and and do we need to recognize the regression and 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 stem it and turn it around and start moving start moving in in the correct direction? What I think is not going to happen is the going back. And I hear lots of people say we must go back. I know it. It's only going back. No. What it is because one of the things that happened. And it's discussed in the section where I talk about, um, you know, we need to set up a Walter Rodney um, Institute and we need to set up a, a, a William DeMass Institute because these two people are outstanding. Walter Rodney, um, you know, we mentioned Hugh Hamilton before when we were speaking out of WBI and how they were celebrating the anniversary of the death of Walter Rodney, having written how Europe underdeveloped Africa, grounding with my brothers and lots of other works. And William DeMass was president of the Caribbean Development Bank, who was one of those people who, who thought and who said that we should be able to dance belly tomorrow, today, and, and, and use our tablet next day. We should be able to have a hundred channels of television and still be able to see a little content. Um, you know, what seems to be happening is as the new technology comes on us, we forget the identity culture. You know that kind of thing? Yes. He, he wasn't opposed to us having our own cultural sense, but still participating in the world environment. And, 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 and I really believe it is that kind of, you know, combination of, but it's the profound, what is needed now? It's not the going back, because we know that once we had a traditional society with all of its values intact, good morning, hello, courtesy, um, well-behaved, but also there was a consciousness, a sense of where we belonged, Africa, who were we, our language, our foods, we ate idle, we dressed, we, we wore sandals, we, 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 we practiced a sense of self-sufficiency, we had a quality of self-determination, a sense of self-reliance, those were key concepts in the 70s. What happened? How did we lose out on those types of, 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 of sensibilities? And what Rostow, a sociologist and probably some kind of social economic theorist, he said that there were various stages of development. And if you look at a lot of the countries in the Caribbean, we followed the exact pattern of those things where we were in a traditional society. We moved from that to what he called a pre-takeoff, then a takeoff, then we finally ended up at, at a mass consumer society. We cannot go back anymore. We have now adopted all of the existing technologies, and so it is our responsibility now to go through with the journey that we started. How do we do? There has to be a deliberate effort by the leadership of the Caribbean and all of the existing movements to bring a sense of coherence and cultural identity to the general population of Caribbean, to add it to what we already have, because <laughs> this is a lot of talk. No, but, 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 um, but I agree with you 100%. Because you know, do you know that Caribbean history is no longer a compulsory subject in the, in the secondary schools in the Caribbean? But I didn't. I, in fact, I wasn't aware. I, I find, as I said in clips of dress, any person who has to do media production in the Caribbean needs a knowledge of Caribbean history. 
I did mine with Dr. Roy Oje, the author, co-author of Making of the West Indies. All of us read that in third and fourth format of various secondary schools in the Caribbean, Making of the West Indies. And one of the interesting things that it does for media practitioners is that when you're about to develop any project, because one of my early trading areas was in the production of documentaries, features and documentaries for radio and television. And it's nice to have a sense, history gives you a sense of research. Eh? Yeah. Until you go out to a community, rather you look for the leaders and the opinion leaders, but you also, for instance, just one example, I did a documentary on the Bagatelle disaster, which happened in 1977, September 21st, 1977. I did it around 1984, 85. And I got the opinion leaders who could tell a good story, story, but I also went down to the river where the women were washing and set down my recorder next to the washer lady and her washboard. And while the river flowing and that lady brushing her clothes, she told me, I was in my house, I was in my house with my, with, with my, um, with my sisters. I lose six sisters in the landslide and I myself didn't know anything. All I know is when I wake up, I was in the hospital and a piece of rock had caught me and took out the side of my buttocks. Wow. No, we do not get people's stories. We don't have a culture of capturing people's everyday life. Not only that, we have Gabriel Christian, Irving Andre, Giftus John, you name Steinberg Henry. <laughs> Steinberg Henry, you name all writers. How many, and there are countless others. They are. Who quotes them? Who sources them? We have Lennox on the church, who cites him? We have Alec Lazar, who reads from his text. Clement Jolly, who says anything about what he's written. Well, so, but you see, it, it is not a, simply a Dominican problem. There's a Pan-Africanist in Dominica called Mr. Blanc. And he has something that he always says. If you want to keep something away from a black man, put it in a book. <laughs> I've heard that. <laughs> Yes. See, so I, 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 I am concerned because I think there's still room for reading. I don't necessarily believe that it should be done on a tablet, but this is the time. I believe books are still relevant and students should still be reading books, but of course, what is available on the electronic means. Remember, I'm a student of communications. Eh? Um, my master's degree is in communication and social justice. So I understand access. And I'm also, you know, so it's those kinds of moments. For me, it's a very significant moment in the development of Caribbean history as we get to know ourselves, our identity emerges even while we interface with an advancing technology. And, and, and you know, we can, we can view the technology in two ways. Because... If we talk about communication and, 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 and justice, and, and it has to do with access, isn't it, isn't it cheaper that somebody can buy a tablet for 50 US dollars? And if you, if you have an internet connection, it opens up the entire world to you. 
as opposed to having to buy 10 textbooks and pay almost $100 for each one. Yeah, certainly, certainly. I think, I think that is one of the, oh, the world of communications is God's gift to man. I I am not. <laughs> I think this is amazing. Um, there are some institutions that have gone ahead, however, to develop courses in computer ethics. You know, and of course, the Caribbean is now dealing with a matter surrounding something that they call Charlie Charlie Challenge. It seems to me that yes, my concern is that the people who are using these instruments the phones, the wide variety of them, and who are using the wide variety of existing social media, would have to have read. They, they have to be grounded in, in their culture, their identity, their sense of person. Who are you before you approach this? Um, only today, my wife was telling me, Stan, I saw a lady in a f- talking on her phone, and somebody's talking with her, and she's not hearing, because she is so engrossed. And... My wife tells me, mm, that phone, those phones, that whole thing, I wonder sometimes what is it that has people so locked inside of them that they cannot even hear when somebody else speaks to them. And, and it's frightening. I saw a YouTube, I saw a YouTube um, video where this man was on the train. He pulled out a gun and pointed it at patrons on the train and nobody in that train saw and when the train stopped, he put his gun back in his pants and walked off the train. And everybody oh, was engrossed in their phone and their tablet. Oh, Lord. No. <laughs> Mikhail Gorbachev, the Soviet um, president, said once that no camera can capture the emotion that passes between two people's eyes. And these are some other things that appear in Calypso Drift. It is a nugget... It is a vast place. By chapter 50, 55, you begin to go down to um, Creole Day and June Creole and the fascinating color that it contains and how we came into it. And you, you just start to bolt into Calypso and enter into 2005 when Calypso begins and 2006 and 2007 and 2008. And I mean... It is, having written this, I was able to see that Spider would have won the crown in 80, Tronada in 81, NC in 82, 83, Rabbit in 84, somebody else in it, Tron um, Ventura in 86, 87, NC in 85, NC comes back and within 88, Wizard wins in 89, 90. You know, I can literally trace them. Scrunter wins in 91, 92. Hurricane wins in 93, 94. Scrunter comes back and wins in 95, 96. 97, we have breaks. 98, we have Hunter. 99, we have breaks. Keep the candles burning. Hunter, carry back and out. 2000, we have Hurricane with a fascinating ballad. I owe it all to you. 2001, who we have? Daddy Chess. 2002, 2003, we have Observer. 2004, 5, 6, who do we have? The Great Dice. <laughs> 2007, Hunter bounces back. 2008, Dice bounces back. 2009, 10, you have this guy from Marigot, Caressa. Caressa. Then, then Tasha P breaks this in in 11, and Dice takes back 12, 13, 14. I can remember, because, you see, it's, 
it's a fascinating something that I have captured a treasure. I hope you can allow me to say that. Certainly, certainly. I, I, I concur completely. I have captured a treasure for the people of Dominica, and it does not cost you. Almost <laughs> <laughs> nothing. You know, but we as a Caribbean people have to pay attention more to the documentation of our stories. We grew up in an age where we have this African tradition of storytelling. Um, before, I grew up in a village with no electricity. So when it's a moonlight night or, or, or weekend night, we would sit and tell stories. And the stories were passed down from generation to generation. And, and there's something significant that I, I realize... Um, when we used to give stories, and we give stories about Laja Bless, the, the evil one, and also in our everyday life, we used to hear stories about if there's a rich person in the village, we say that person does sell people. You know, <laughs> he, he sells somebody, and that's how he became rich. And it's only as, a, as an adult I come to realize that this was part of the trauma that came from Africa, because, because our people were used to their persons going out to hunt or going to their farms, they get kidnapped and they're never seen again. <laughs> and sometimes it's a local person that captured them and sell them to it's a local person that captured them and sold them to to to, to the slave trader. Let me just leap you know this raises a reparation issue. Doctor Hillary Beckles is presenting you talk about the trauma. Doctor Hillary Beckles is one of the leading presenters on reparation. Another subject that is very dear to my heart, Steinberg. Yeah, on, on behalf of the Caribbean. And one of his his platforms, if you wish, well, two, one is education and the extent to which the Caribbean has been deprived or even stunted and stilted or even bruised and repressed in certain instances, depending on who is looking at it. But the other, he was able to argue and he does it effectively. If a person goes to YouTube and you you YouTube Hillary Beckles, you will see his presentation to the government of St. Vincent. And he argues that in Barbados, for example, so many amputees. I think Barbados has the highest number of amputees per capita in the Western world. Wow. And... Part of the problem he contained was that this sugar diabetes business stemmed from a genetic factor that emerged because of the diet that was fed to slaves throughout the ages. It's a big discussion. So when you spoke about the trauma, and the, you know, you know that kind of excuse. We, 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 we no, nobody talks about, nobody talks about the apprenticeship period in, in Caribbean history. In Calypso Drift, there's a section on the apprenticeship period between 1834 and 1838 where 
Britain and English, English-speaking Caribbean sent a group of gentlemen that it called the magistracy to make sure that after the emancipation, so to speak, remember the abolition had taken place since 1807, after the emancipation, they would be able, the slaves would receive, the enslaved would receive some kind of justice regarding their clothing, uh, how much how many pieces of dungaree they would get, they would get salt beef or salt fish, um, you know, whether they were free to receive a wage on certain plantations and so on and so forth. But remember, the planters were peeved and pissed off over the, over the fact that this thing was happening because they had an investment in Chappelle. We have to think of this. People do not talk about this. There was something they called an apprenticeship period between 1834 and 1838. Mm -hmm. Go back to Europe. Europe was perfecting the art of torture then. Or oh, the art of torture had been perfected then. And between 1834 and 1838, African peoples in the West Indies were tortured and brutalized to the max. It was the torture experiment, geographic space, there was no justice, women aborted under torture. We do not, we, 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 and we are supposed to, so you know, we have a reason to be intellectually enriched, but we have learned, and we are supposed to learn to come into this 21st century. And this is where I thank my father for teaching me where error of opinion is tolerated, the reason is there to combat it. We have to learn to take hold of the gift. We were once enslaved. Now let us, you know the Christians have a thing they say, let us claim it. Yes. <laughs> let us claim in the name of our ancestors. Our ancestors Let us claim it. Definitely. Let us claim it, people. And I think part of what Calypso Drift does is that it causes the head, the reader, to begin to... One sister told me, as I read Calypso Drift, I began to remember so many things that I had forgotten. And that is what I think... There are lots of things. There's a lot of stuff about Jamaica reggae. There's a lot of stuff about Barbados' spooge. There's a lot of things about Trinidad Calypso, who were the singers. There's a whole chapter on the music we played on radio. The Americanization of our cultures. There's a whole, there's a lot of intriguing recall that as you read the text, it takes you back to something that you might have forgotten because of the fast pace and the quickness of the grid. You know, so I'm just saying, I'm encouraging my people and people from other parts of the Caribbean to pick this work up. And there are, I just had a student from Germany who was writing, um, she was doing a degree in anthropology, she was able to get that book, she was looking at Calypso. Um, oh, it's, it's, it's a very intriguing intriguing piece. I understood from Dr. Shaila Esprit that she was placing it on the Caribbean, um, Create Caribbean Inc. site, where, you know, they have created this research institute at the Dominica State College. I have been able to distribute the book to all of the universities of the West Indies uh, because I think it's a research document. But
but more particularly, I would, I would like every Dominican to take advantage of the fact. All of us have somebody in this state. Tell them on Amazon is twenty dollars and nineteen dollars, and go and pick it up and post it to your people. It's a great piece of work to keep. It's a great resource for your children and your children's children and for yourself. No, certainly, I I, I definitely encourage listeners to. To get a copy of the book, as I said, you can you can download it on your e-reader. But once you start to read that book, you're going to realize very quickly that I need the hard copy of that book to have <laughs> on my coffee table, so that yeah. when I'm relaxing, I can pick it up and I can live through it. I can go to my favorite section. I can read it. My children can pick it up and read it. My grandchildren have a, a school project. They can get information from there. I, it, it, it is it is a wonderful read. Uh, there is no doubt that when you read that book, you get you get the sense of the of of the sacrifice of the love that went into into producing that work, and and the, the production of that work is a, was a journey. It is so clear when you start to read that book that you know that this book wasn't just written as a one-time project. That this book took a journey to put together. And so, and so I, I want to, I want to, to, to say that, um, Sandberg, we, I am so honored. I'm actually, I'm very honored and humbled at the opportunity to talk to you about, about, about you, about your book, Calypso Drift. And, and certainly I think there are so many topics that we left untouched and untapped that, that this is a conversation that, that needs to to continue, but in the meantime, listeners, I would I would encourage you to to go get a copy of the book, read it, and let's continue that discussion. I would love the next time we talk about Calypso Drift that you can call and you can say, you know, in chapter twenty nine, you know, or, or in, in chapter ten, the, when when they talk about parliamentarian that was that was talking to Mister Speaker about about the different language of Rasta. You know uh, how they call vegetables ital, and they call they call a building concrete. You know, and, and all of that type of sensibilities that's captured in in that book is it, just going. It's nostalgic. It is instructive. It's inspiring. I encourage you to to go to go to Amazon and and, and purchase the book. So we 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 are at the end of our ninety minutes. So I'm going to I'm going to ask you. To just talk to the listeners about, uh, I know I know that book has too many nuggets in there for you for me to ask you to to pick a favorite spot um, part of it. But just talk about talk talk about uh, one topic or one aspect of the book that you'd like to leave with listeners tonight. Well, I think there is a section. Um, I think it's probably either chapter eight or something else. When, when you pick up the book, they will find out what the chapter is. But, 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 but the strange thing is, I, I don't. I would have to get it ready. But it is a it is a flowing, non-stop read. I call it a stream of consciousness where I'm having a conversation with 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 my father it's and he's saying it's chapter eight, uh, chapter eight words, and he's saying you um you, you he said when I when I speak fire spits from my mouth and he says 
you want to see fire speed, I say, could I give it a try? And that runs. Actually, um, Dominica's ambassador at the UN, Dr. Vincent Desse, called me and he said, Stein, I have a copy of this book. This is this chapter. It is absolutely beautiful. And what happened is there was the Colombian writer, Nicolas Garcia Marquez. He wrote a book titled The Autumn of the Patriarch. And Anthony, I remember picking up that book in around 96, 97. And I realized the guy didn't have a full stop in the book until the end. (laughs) 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 Well, he told everyone, but after 10 pages and stuff, Mm. he just wrote and and everything was interconnecting with amazing precision. And I was so impressed. I always thought that I would like to try this sometime. And I tried it in chapter 8. I think that is an interesting um, piece of something too but there are lots of moments in Calypso Drift where there's a significant amount of transcendence you know where you just lift and that is one of the things about the drift is that in reading the text in, for instance I explain how I do what I do and why I do it so for instance I say there's something called leap so, for instance, you could be reading and you get to the end of a chapter and you will see me write, now, brave Dominican soul or Caribbean soul, leap. And I go into another kind of subject. So the reader is, it's a whole series of methodologies that are at work. Where you, you, you leap at one instance, you stay on the subject at another instance. I remember you told me, Stein, the text drifts sometimes, but it always comes back to where it, it, the reader is supposed to focus. Yep. And that, that is the nature of it. So what I will do whenever we get back, um, I will look for more specific things as I read more closely. Even I myself need to become familiar with my own text. <laughs> it's amazing. No, there's no one head that all of this can, can fit into. Uh, it's it's a tremendous it's a tremendous work. I congratulate you on it. it it's it's uh, it, it's a life work. It's a life's work, and and it would be it would be so good if enough discussion could come out of that book, and and we get not sequels necessary, but spin-offs. You know, okay. where it inspires persons to 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 explore and to develop their own ideas and to present it. I think it's, it is that type of work that, that's definitely going to live on way beyond the, the existence of one man. And, okay. and, and so I think, I think in these books, then, you, you've, you've definitely created a legacy. And, and we congratulate you for that. And I want to say thank you so much for, for spending the hour and a half with us. And I would certainly want to continue the conversation uh, and, and to continue to, to to, to provide um, TDN Radio to you to, 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 to spread the message that, that because you have so much knowledge uh, and so much skill that, that we really, really, really and, 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 not, and I mean I haven't even spoken about your distinctive radio voice and your radio personality <laughs> um, oh, no. That, 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 <laughs> no, I grew up on that I remember 
<laughs> before we before we before um Sam kicks us off, I remember growing up as a young boy when you sit in class and you're trying to remember the correct way to say something. In my mind, I used to go back to how they said it on the radio. Yeah. You know? At that time, the radio was a teacher. I, I yes. could say, okay, this person, when he was reading the news, that's how we say it. So that must be the correct way to say it. And and that is the role that radio played. The persons like yourself and Dennis Joseph and Jeff Charles and, you know, and all, and all of these great people. The the first person who told me that I should look at radio as something in my future was, um, was Velma Paul. I was coming from grammar school one day, and they used to walk on the road and ask for opinion. You know, something happened locally, and they get people's opinion. And she stopped me as a schoolboy and asked me a question, and I started talking, and she jumped in and interrupted me and said, with that voice, you should be on radio. <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, you, you never know what it is that a child carries with him for his life. And that moment, um, Carrie stayed with me. Impression. So, yeah, definitely. And so, and so, Stein, I, I know there's a lot of persons in Dominica who just do that, that very distinctive voice, Steinberg Henry, on the radio. And I, I, am, I am very, very honored and humbled to, 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 to bring your voice to, to a new generation of Dominicans to remind the older generations of what they're missing. And I want to encourage them to, to pick up a book of Calypso Drift. Yes, yes, yes. Well, did you say that we would continue to have the discussion? I mean, is it something that... No, definitely, Stan. I would like to invite you back next week so we can... Because we, we've only covered the first section of the book. We've not yes. even gone into detail about the Calypso part of it. Yes, yes, certainly, certainly, so, certainly. So if your time allows you, I, I definitely would like to invite you back next week, Wednesday, so we can continue the discussion. Let me continue to apply it to present-day circumstances. Oh, yes, certainly. the way that we're doing it. So, so I, I, would, I would definitely um, find it a privilege if you were able to come back. And when, when you mentioned Velma Paul, uh, you know, you took me back to... to, to that whole Creole experience with with Ferdinand Frampton, God bless his soul, Felix Henderson, who is still the president of the Dominica Reading Association now, um, Osmond Thomas, this revered gentleman who had done this whole process, and Velma, you had Mary Williams, you had Rudy Joseph, you had yes. Jamala Fontaine, there, there was another... There was another gentleman whose name I, he was a dark guy. What was his name again? I don't quite remember. Then, of course, you, you, you also had, well, we had Mary Williams, um, Mark Fessler St. Louis, um, and of course, now Kiwana Fontaine, and then PBS now has, um, um, Maya or, or Myla Joseph, who does. The crew matter, that is a whole discussion. And it's important to remember those things. I speak about the Committee Poetude Creole, which is a group which actually met and organized um, a symposium on the Thursday before Junet Creole on the Friday and the first day of the World Creole Music Festival. So when the World Creole Music Festival started in 1997, there was a symposium on the Creole language on the Thursday. We always... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Anyway. So, so, so let's, let's invite the listeners back because we, we want to talk about how Dominican Creole um, language you know, seems to, to match Jamaican Creole, you know, in terms of, in terms of the way we say things. Um, there's, there's so many other facets of Caribbean life that, that is covered in the book. 
Calypso Drift. is a whole area, yes. the Caribbean Conference of Churches, the, yeah, the, the, evan- the Evangelicals, the Pentecostals, the, Evangelicals, the Methodists. The evolution of that, those things are significant in Caribbean. Right? Definitely. So, so, so we're going to continue the conversation next week. Okay. Readers, I encourage, listeners, I encourage you to pick up a copy in the meantime. Let's have a discussion. Let's have a nice and, interview. And definitely what I'm going to do, I'm going to post something on the Facebook page, on this week in interview Facebook page. Let's see if we can get a discussion going and yeah. carry it into into next week. So, Stan, I want to say thank you very much and good night thank to you, you and my much. family. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much. Have a good night. Well, listeners, I told you, <laughs> uh, this man is amazing. You know, Mr. Steinberg Henry, I grew up, I grew up on Steinberg Henry. Um, listening to him on the radio, getting inspired by him, really, really, really digesting that voice, you know, that, 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 this distinctive voice and, and and his thoughts and the way he presents things in in a different a different a different manner. But we've we've overstepped our extra time. We want to we want to say thank you to the producer and engineer Sam. I want to say a very hearty thank you to Mr. Steinberg Henry, and and we look forward to continuing the conversation next week. Our our topic tonight was on his work his book. Calypso Drift. I encourage you to go to Amazon and get yourself a copy. Uh, buy the electronic copy so you can have time to, to read some of it for next week's discussion. But you're definitely going to want to get the hard copy so you can have have it on hand. Uh, and, and this has been this week in interview. And I am your host, Anthony Drago. And I thank you so much for, for staying with us through the last hour and 45 minutes and we look forward to seeing you next week at same time 8 p.m eastern standard time i know we have listeners um, let me just say shout out to 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 listeners trinidadian listeners grenadians the saint vincent listeners uh, definitely my classmates from grammar school the um, class of 1984 um, we're in the process of planning a reunion for 2017, and we hope to do big things for 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 the Dominica Grammar School. So definitely, um, Judith and Billy and Peter and Mackie and all of you guys, thank you for for tuning in, and we will see you next week. This has been this week in interview, and I am your host Anthony Drago. Have a great week, have a great weekend, and I will talk again on Wednesday. Mm-hmm.